we must remember that we are the church. We must be purposeful about the assignment that we have from God, and we must be practical about the assignment that we have from God. Purposeful and practical. We can't make excuses for failing to be who God has called us to be. We do not have another season. This is it. With everything that's going on in the world, I'm so glad I was born now. I'm so glad I'm alive today to see all of this. He's coming soon. He's going to catch us away. And when he comes, we're coming back with him. After we've had a little celebration. The apostle said, pray that you're worthy to be caught, to be taken in the first resurrection. You want to be at that celebration. You don't want to be the alternative of things that are going on in the earth that we just saw in the book of Daniel a few weeks back. So, if this is what God's calling us, where, where do we start? Let's start with Jesus. Uh, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible also says of the Word, His Word will never pass away. Jesus actually said, I came to call sinners to repentance. You and I ought to be saying, I came to call sinners to repentance. I'm here in the earth to call sinners to repentance. I'm here to tell them there's a better way to live. I'm here to tell them that Jesus said, I would come that you might have life and have it more abundantly now. All the promises that are of God are not for the sweet by and by. I'm living the sweet by and by. I love my life because God is right in the middle of it. Well, you talk like there's not anything you would change. Oh, there's some things I'd change. I have extended family and loved ones that aren't walking with Jesus. I'd change that in a heartbeat. Probably drive a newer truck, but I like pink slips. Let me, let me do this. This is what I think we ought to do. Let's look, first of all, just very quickly. I want to take a couple of minutes here. Uh, in the Old Testament, he, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, when Moses was having his conversation with God about, okay, I'm going to go back to Egypt and I'm going to tell them you sent me. Who do I say sent me? He said, I am. Just tell him, I am sent me. The context of that we read in, the, in, in Revelation, uh, he who is, who was, and who is to come. I'm the guy that was always there, right? Okay, the um, children of Israel were very familiar with that. So Jesus played off of those words repeatedly in the book of John, eight times actually, when he equated himself with God. He said in John chapter 8 and 58, before Abraham was, I am. He made him mad. Some of them, was the, the religious folk got mad. Before Abraham was, I am. 
Then he said in uh, John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread of life. John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. John 10, he said, I am the door. You know what they understood? That was into the tabernacle. You don't get to the presence of God unless you go through me. I'm the door. I am. He made them mad. He was not being politically correct. He was not caring if he hurt their feelings. He was telling them the truth. Would you understand that if that's how Jesus behaved, that's how we ought to behave? I'm not mad. In fact, sometimes, usually when I get mad, I get quieter. Some cases. John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, he really messed him up with this one in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way was the first door into the outer court. The truth was the door that went into where the showbread was and the communion table and the, and the lab stands and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the altar of incense, the place of worship before God. I am the truth. And then he said, I am the life. The way into the presence of God, the place that in their context only the high priest could go. No one else got to go there. You want to get there? Just go through me. That's what he said. He ticked him off. He pointed the way of salvation. You point the way of salvation at work, you'll tick somebody off. Go right on and do it. You go down the library and you point the way of salvation to somebody, you'll tick somebody off. They'll be telling, don't do that here. Go on and do it. In John chapter 15, he said, I'm the true vine. I am, I am, I am, I am. He said it eight times. You think he's trying to get something across to us? If I ever hear my wife repeat herself to the children, she's trying to make a point. When I read the scripture and God repeats himself, he wants to drive the point home. Anytime the scripture says anything more than once, it's a high priority in the heart of the Father. It's not the last time he said it. In Revelation 1.8, Revelation 21.6, and Revelation 22.13, you see Jesus speaking and he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, which means the beginning and the end, or I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. Now I want to take you back to the statement that the apostle made in the book of Hebrews. Lord, help me. For this time, there's some of you who should have been teachers and you need, to be, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes of milk is a baby. We love babies. But I, you know, I love babies, but I want them to grow up and move out. Get up on their own feet. Quickly. Some sooner than others. Everyone who partakes of milk is a baby. Solid food belongs to those who are full age. Let's talk solid food. 
If Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am the beginning and the end, I am the first and the last, then if for you he is not the first and the last, you've not grown up yet. If he is not my first and my last in every circumstance of my life as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as a follower of God, if he is not the first place I go when I'm in trouble and the last place I go when things are working out, if he's not the first place I go when I have a question and the last place I go when I still need to have a discussion about it, if he is not my first and my last, then I'm drinking milk. Not eating meat. And I've really discovered that. This is a revelation to me in my own life. I've just really discovered the places in my own life where I spend my time in my intellect trying to figure everything out. And then the moment that I go to God and he and I have a serious conversation about it, it all just kind of works out. He gives me understanding. I'm walking in new light and new revelation. I'm no longer walking in darkness. And he's, he's asking me, why didn't you come here first? I'm the first and the last. I'm the first conversation you have in the morning. I'm the last conversation you have at night. He wants to bless your socks off. And you, by reason of intellect, are trying to figure out how to sort through all the issues of your life. And he keeps saying, I'm the first and the last. Can I be your first and your last? Well, I don't feel really good. Let me run down to the doctor and pay my $60 copay. First, first, by his stripes you are healed. First, the cross. First, a conversation with God. First, then there's that season of time where we have to figure out whether or not we're going to actually believe him. So last, Lord, I don't see the manifestation of it, but I'm getting ready to lay my head down. I just want to thank you for what you've done for me. Now, listen, I'm not telling you not to go to the doctor. I go to the doctor. In fact, I think I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. First, And last, everything else I do needs to be sandwiched between those two experiences. Lord, my kids are just ripping me up. This life is first. Do you know how many times we run around to 17 different parents and ask everybody's advice until we get to hear something we think we can do? When if we take those little ones into the presence of God in our prayer closet. He would tell us what to do. I'm so sick of hearing popular thinkers saying, well, God gave you kids or you got kids and you didn't get a handbook. Fool, you haven't read the handbook. If you're going to raise children today with a, with, 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 a, uh, with a correct biblical view, with a biblical worldview, 
You better figure out how to put the word in them. You better figure out how to get them to communicate with their father. You better lead them in the ways of righteousness. And you better have some conversations with God about how to do it. Because what works for me, I assure you, may not work exactly for you. And the way that God gave you those kids because he, I don't know, I'm preaching to families today. God gave you those children and those grandchildren. He put them under your covering so that because he knew that he put within you the unique ability to form and to shape them so that they would be children of righteousness in their generation. If you're depending on Sunday school to do that, eh. the best that the church can do is support what you're doing. If you're not doing anything, that support is not going to yield a great deal. I want to give you two or three examples. We may do this, this th- today and, and next week as well. In light of this, we're talking about the word Jesus. I want to give you some examples of things that we've come, that have, that have come to us through the work of Jesus, which we as Christians misuse or don't believe, you realize there's a word that you don't believe yet? Come on. Things we misuse or don't believe because we're still on milk when we should be consuming meat. We're still being taught when we should be able to teach. Let me give you this one. How many have ever said, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, that's absolutely true. The Bible says so. So we just woohoo shout about that. Well, you know why he said that? He said that so your discerner would work. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't stop. We quote so many parts of Scripture. You know why? We don't like the rest of it. We quote the part we like. I'm going to show you that right here. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So do not be carried about by various and strange winds of doctrine. Jesus is the same. What makes you think that the doctrine has changed? Because we're in the enlightenment of the 21st century? Are you kidding me? I wanted to take that and hit the Pope up the side of the head with it. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't be carried around by winds of doctrine that tell you that there are many ways to God or that we ought to stop speaking polarizing words in the earth that come out of the gospel. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Another one, it's not in my notes. God is in control. Only if you're letting him be. He's only in control where you're giving him control. That that was free. I didn't even have that one written down. Here's another one. Listen, this is one we teach baby Christians right away. But we, only, we, we stop reading the rest of the, the context of the verse. Listen, my God shall supply all of your needs 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. We actually teach our children to memorize that. It's a great verse. Absolutely true. Let's read the context. The context is this. I'll give you a little background. The Apostle Paul was going on missionary journeys, and the church there in Philippi was the only church that had, had given into his life and ministry. He struggled. He, lived, he described to them how he lived in seasons of lack and want. And what he was really saying to them was, if y'all hadn't obeyed the Lord, I might have starved to death. But God blessed me through you. Because of your abundant giving out of the place of your own need, they were not wealthy people. They were just givers. In fact, the Christians, if you read, if you look in what we're learning in Revelation right now, many of the Christians in, in those seasons of time were actually living in places of greater poverty because they couldn't break into the economic system because you had to be a heathen to do it. You had to go to the parties to get the deals. Thank God we'd get them on the golf course now. And so they wouldn't go. So they couldn't have the wealthy business success that some of the others were enjoying because they were committed to Jesus. So the context is here that the Apostle Paul is thanking them for his gift. And in uh, Philippians 4, I'll pick it up in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I'm not seeking the gift. I'm seeking the blessing for you that comes to you because you gave. Indeed, I have all and abound, and I'm full, having received from Ephroditus the things that you sent to me. The context of my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory is to those who are invested in the kingdom, dreaming what God dreams to do in the earth, enough that they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. That their income and their blessing and their, their substance becomes a praise to God because they will invest it in the kingdom. To their own lack. We've given many times when we really needed what we gave. And I'm not talking about the tithe. I'm talking about giving on top of it. I remember one time in particular when, when uh, Rachel, well, Laura was pregnant with Rachel, and somebody gave us literally, gosh, maybe 80, 70, 80 dresses for little girls, all different sizes. That girl would have lived like a princess for the first three years of her life, all the way up from zero to Three, we had this closet full of dresses and outfits for a baby girl. And I don't remember the circumstances, but we met someone that was in need. Someone's house burned down and they had a little baby girl. And Laura said, and listen, we weren't exactly rolling in anything in those days. We had some great seasons of struggle. We were rolling in debt. That's what we were rolling in. <laughs> Laura and I got married. She had bills. I had bills. Both of our bills far exceeded our income. We were rolling in it, yes, in debt. 
She said, Anthony, I want you to go out there and I want you to bag up those clothes. I want you to take them to that family whose house burned down. God will take care of us. We had need. Do you know that that baby girl never wanted for a thing? God supplied the first three years of her life and beyond. She had clothes. We didn't buy them all. God just sent things from north and south and east and west. But we never, we never one time thought, Lord, what's our baby going to wear? Never. Even in seasons of lack. Because the context of this promise, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, is to people who are invested in the kingdom of God. You've been speaking that verse over your life, not willing to be invested in the kingdom and get on board with your finances, with what God wants to do in your life, and and you've been expecting him to fulfill that promise in you? That's like sitting and watching the field and expecting it to grow corn, but never putting a seed in the ground. You'll get some weeds. Let me just give you one more. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. This is another one. We like this part of this verse. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've even written songs about that. Beautiful, beautiful worship. You're a chosen generation. You are. But the context of that begins back in, in the first part of that chapter. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But in verse 1, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Now, we, we think this way. I'll just, when, I get, when I get strong enough in Jesus and I get mature enough in the kingdom, I'll lay aside my bitterness. I'll lay aside my envy. The Lord will help me do that someday. He's talking to babies. Babies still on milk. Lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word so that you can grow up. So if you keep your envy and you keep your malice and you keep your your deceit and you keep your hypocrisy and you keep your evil speaking, you cannot grow up in God. You're still drinking milk. So we come to God in that passage. You read to that and it talks about being, he's a living stone. We come to him as a living stone and that we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. You go into all that context. It's all beautiful, beautiful picture of who we are in God. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious. That passage says that. We've come to him understanding that we're living stones being built together into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Those who believe this respond in in obedience to the word of God in its correct context. 
babies who want to grow up in God and be built into a spiritual house and become a royal priesthood and a holy nation, offering up spiritual sacrifices unto God, lay aside all malice, all deceit, all envy, all evil speaking. These activities are not the activities and the actions of the mature, but the activities and actions of babies who want to grow up in God. It is the mature who are offering spiritual sacrifices unto God. It is the mature who are living and functioning as kings and priests unto God. It, it is the mature who are reaping the benefits of being a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Babies don't get to reap that benefit. They're busy laying down envy and malice and drinking milk so that they can grow to the point that they can enjoy those benefits. So you can't quote that verse unless you're going to take it in context and decide to go in that direction. And let the Holy Spirit develop you. So in the context of this passage, I'm going to run out of time. We're going to stay with this. We're going to stay with this. Let the teachers know I'm going to stay right here for just a minute. Therefore, verse 7, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. To those who are disobedient, the stone that the builders rejected has become a stumbling block, a rock of offense. Please follow this thinking. In the context of this passage, who are believers? Those who see that he is precious and live like he is precious. Those who see him in his holiness and move in the direction of holiness. Those who see him in his righteousness and move in the direction of righteousness out of love and, and for him, not out of, he's expecting this of me. There's very little that I've ever done in God because he expected it of me. Everything that I've ever accomplished in God is because I understand that he loves me and that I love him. It's a love relationship. With Jesus, you can go to the piano. Then he says, the stone that the builders rejected became a rock of offense. Who is it in this passage? Those who are disobedient. Do you understand in the context of this passage, he is not talking to people who have not received Jesus? This passage is written to believers. People who have received Jesus and the apostles making the distinction between those who are mature and those who are immature and those who are obedient and those who are not. And it says to those believers who are disobedient, the stone that the builders rejected became to them a stumbling block. You can be, you can have prayed the sinner's prayer and the very Jesus that is forgiving you of your sin becomes to you a stumbling block. Because you, be, you, you begin to not want to be developed into the person. You begin re, becoming resistant to the change that the Holy Spirit's trying to bring to your life. That's who Becky was talking to today. Some of us who have just, in a season, that we became resistant to the, to the things that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. So what marks individuals as disobedient? Have a conversation with someone. Listen for malice and deceit. Listen for envy and evil speaking. Get up next to the worst thing in the world, unhappy believers. Start talking trash on somebody. They're on milk, not meat. So he's talking not to people who have never received Jesus. He's talking to people 
who prayed to receive Jesus but failed to grow in God to a place of maturity. I've given you three examples from Scripture of the way that we view and exercise the word in immaturity. And I'm going to give you a challenge. I want the prayer teams to come and I want them to be up here. I'm going to give you a challenge right now. The challenge is this. I encourage you to take time to review some of your favorite passages of Scripture and to go back and to find the context in which those things are spoken and to see if you are cultivating in your life an environment for those promises to really come to pass in your life. If you're believing God for greater finances and you haven't submitted your finances to Him, that's a pipe dream for you. If you're believing God to bless your marriage and you're not cultivating the blessings of God in a relationship that's full of peace and, and, and love for one another, you have a pipe dream. I encourage you to consider particularly areas where you feel that you've been standing in faith on the word and you're not seeing answers fulfilled, promises come to pass, outcomes or responses from God that you anticipate seeing. Go back to that promise and learn the context in which it is spoken. And find where you've become resistant to to the fulfillment of that promise in your life. The Holy Spirit will meet you there I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you areas of your life where you are not ready for strong, healthy meat. And where you're staying on the milk of the Word when your spiritual stomach is ready to eat some meat so that you can become strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It's time for us to take the promises of God that have been given to us as believers. They are precious. But they're they're given in a context that we must not be resistant to in order for them to come to pass in our life. I'm challenging you this morning to do that. You take your time, your notepad, and you sit with Jesus, and you say, what are the things I'm believing you for, but I haven't applied them in correct context in my life. I haven't let them be, they're just a law to me. I haven't let them be mixed with faith. I haven't taken the time to understand what you were really saying in that area so that they could come to full fruit in my life.